is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day where the greatest and most significant speech of 2023 so far. I know, I know, the year's very young. But it is the biggest speech of the year for President Biden. It is a time when he has the attention of the whole world for an hour for some very carefully crafted words. There was a fascinating piece in the New York Times today about how Biden works on his speeches and how he makes special allowances in the text of his speeches for his lifelong problem as a stutterer, which is a problem that no other modern president has had. Uh, how will it go? What should he do? What will he do? Will this make a difference in terms of launching his expected campaign for re-election? With all of that, it's a great pleasure, as always, to speak to A.B. Stoddard, who is associate editor and a columnist at Real Clear Politics. She is also a guest host on the POTUS channel on Sirius XM. Uh, A.B., uh, are you excited beyond uh, imagining at the uh, speech that's coming up in a couple of hours? Oh, yeah. I always I've begun to feel badly for presidents because uh, they must do this and it is their solemn duty. And we all talk about how we don't want to stay up late and it's so boring and it's a laundry list and it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to have any surprises. But um, but I'm going to be there in my seat like I always am taking it in. Mm -hmm. No, no. Good. I'm, I'm glad you will. And I'm sure you will <laughs> write about it afterward. Uh, first off, before we get to the State of the Union address, you have a new column today, which uh, is called the GOP's George Santos Test. A great title. What What is the George Santos Test? Well, the thing is, you know, Santos is, uh, he is, I, I mean, he kind of frightens me. I think he actually, he, he needs a lot of help. Um, but <laughs> the, the test is whether or not they will allow to be George, George Santos to be the face of um, the face of the Republican Party. And with each passing 36 hours, there's more and more um, that, that comes to the fore about accusations and allegations against him from his past, ridiculous things that he says. And, um, and it's it's just I, I wonder how it's almost like a gift to the Democrats that George Santos is the poster boy of the House Republican conference. Uh, and so I wonder how long they want to put up with that. Um, so far, it looks like they're pretty comfortable. You hear the House Speaker repeatedly answer questions about how, you know, it's fine. The ethics committee is going to look into this when they get when they get around to it. Um, and, you know, it's not his job. Meanwhile, constituents are coming by the busload to come, you know, protest his continued further service in what, the House. What, there's there's a bit breaking news about uh, accusations of uh, groping, uh, which is uh, something we hadn't really heard about, about George Santos with a uh, an applicant for a staff position. Uh, yeah, it, it, that that uh, McCarthy seemed to be hinting could uh, be the end of the story. Well, you know what, Michael? I'll just believe it when I see it. <laughs> That's not, I think that Kevin McCarthy wants him to stick around and be his, um, you know, part of his four-vote four margin, and, and that 
you know, I, I, I'll just believe it when I see it. I don't know that he forces him to resign. Yeah, there, there's also uh, a whole series of witnesses about him stealing uh, money from lost puppies. And uh, we talked about that a little bit yesterday. The, the story is, is just uh, unbelievable. It, it um, does not increase the prestige of the Congress of the United States. So uh, George Santos has announced that he's sitting with a heroic fireman uh, from uh, who was a survivor of uh, Sep- September 11th, and <laughs> he really was. It's not like his mother, who was supposed to have been there and survived, and she wasn't in the country. Right. But um, uh, so, uh, do you, uh, what I think would be fascinating is, don't you expect that some of the cable news outlets, when they're trying to get responses to President Biden's speech, will uh, try hard to get a response from George Santos? Well, of course, and he's drawing, you know, attention to himself with his guest. And and he that's the thing is that George Santos loves being the center of attention and he loves being um, in the spotlight, even if it's, you know, that if it's kind of, a, you know, he's a it's a freak show. Right. Um, it's not a sideshow. It's, it's a real freak show. And, and it and it, it it worsens, as I said, you know, several times a week with new developments but. I just don't see a level of discomfort from the the speaker on down through the Republican conference with George Santos um, that that would that would put this to an end. Even though um, you know, really, when you when you when you rip off a guy who needs cancer surgery for his dog who then ends up dying, uh, and you've now been accused of of, of groping a potential um, new hire. I don't I I don't I think that they have they just have a very high tolerance level. So I think George Santos is going to stick around. And yes, with his tweets and everything he's saying, I will not be surprised to see if he weighs in tonight on Joe Biden's speech. Yes. And uh, my guess is he won't like it, whatever it is. Uh, Are are there any uh, voices you might expect uh, on the Republican side that uh, could take the position it'll make us look better, more reasonable if we give Joe Biden a little bit of a break. Uh, we indicate we have to deal with this debt ceiling. Uh, any more conciliatory voices, or is it all going to be DEFCOM three from the Republican side? You know, that's a, that's a really good question. I, I do expect that that all of the responses will be universally partisan um, and just loaded with criticism. Um, of Joe Biden, um, I, I think that I, I guess they're having second thoughts on on, on a resolution condemning Joe Biden, and they're going to go they're going to pick on China instead over the over Balloon Gate. But when you listen to the speech tonight, and Joe Biden talks about what he's done and what he yet wants to do, we can expect the Republican response to say that what he's done is not good enough. Um, and that what he wants to do is folly. So I, I, I don't. I think that you hear Kevin McCarthy, and I've been interested in this, um, really trying to strike a conciliatory tone on the debt ceiling debate. Uh, he's doing a lot of measured um, uh, comments uh, uh, and, and, and repeated press uh, appearances and videos he sends out on Twitter trying to assure us that he wants to raise the debt ceiling and not default and be responsible. 
But in terms of a State of the Union address, um, they're all going to fundraise off of this and go to town, and they're not going to be serving up conciliatory remarks uh, to their constituents tonight. Uh, A.B. Stoddard, uh, in, in terms of the guest list for uh, for President Biden, uh, it doesn't look like they're going to be emphasizing January 6th, uh, as so many Democrats have. Uh, do you expect that the president will bring up that subject and the riot that, uh, that attacked the Capitol building? You know, that's such an interesting question. I was thinking about that because you remember last year his State of the Union address was solely, almost solely focused on the invasion um, of Ukraine. It took place, I believe, on the 5th of March, uh, right after the invasion, and it was an entirely focused speech on democracy. And, of course, he talked about the threats to democracy at home. It is a major theme of, of Joe Biden's mission as president. But I don't know if he's going to go there, um, go at January 6th tonight. He's going to try to talk about things that he thinks will unify the two parties and try to force Republicans into some bipartisanship on things that people can't have any problems with, like addressing the opioid epidemic. We will continue with A.B. Stoddard on what exactly those unifying themes could possibly be. A.B. Stoddard of Real Clear Politics coming back up on the MedVet Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, a few minutes more with uh, A.B. Stoddard of Real Clear Politics. Uh, her recent pieces include the uh, George uh, Santos test and, uh, and, and other analysis about um, what is Mike Pompeo running for. Uh, on that issue, A.B., uh, you asked the question, what is Mike Pompeo running for? And he would tell you he's running for president. Or do you disagree? Well, I, he's been technically kind of running since, and he's been doing the groundwork laying since, just after Trump left office, you know, just a few months into 2021, so it's almost two years now. Um, and he's done all the things that you normally do, but he, he, he doesn't have a, a, a strategy, uh, I don't think, for, um, for winning the Republican nomination. The party uh, has changed a lot since Mike Pompeo uh, was in the Congress, and uh, he has not criticized the frontrunner. In Donald Trump, he's not criticized the other frontrunner in Ron DeSantis. He um, is not a culture warrior. He is not a big celebrity in the MAGA movement. Um, he does not obsess about groomers or vaccines or pedophiles or um, library books. <laughs> and he is planning to run on foreign policy and national security, both of which are important but are not right now the focus of the Republican primary base. And so um, in order to distinguish himself and find his, quote, lane, um, you would think that Mike Pompeo would be flexing his um, credentials in a way that, that, um, that made the argument for himself over the high pollers, who are obviously Trump and DeSantis. Nikki Haley is also going to get in and run on foreign policy, but she's running for vice president. 
and she will be the obvious pick for any man who wins the nomination, should she not win the nomination. Um, she's a young woman who's a former governor and UN ambassador and um, is seen as a moderate, and she's of Indian American descent and perfectly you know, positioned to be a VP pick. So Mike Pompeo, um, it's kind of a mystery what, wh- how he's going to get in to this base uh, that just nominated all the people we remember from the 2022 midterms and convince them that his establishment credentials on foreign policy are just what they've been waiting for. Yeah, I mean, and and again, he's the last candidate who lost a significant amount of weight as preparation for a presidential campaign was Mike Huckabee. Uh, and you may remember, made a, oh, yeah. made a big deal of it. And... It helped his campaign, helped him emerge as a major contender uh, back uh, in uh, running against Obama in 2008, but uh, didn't deliver the nomination. And I don't think Mike Pompeo's weight loss, which has been extraordinary, is going to work any better. The amazing thing to me, and again, you deal with this every single day, but... The new uh, poll by the ABC News, Washington Post, and neither one of which are particularly uh, conservative uh, outlets, shows that um, uh, among Republicans and Republican uh, leaners, Republican independents, 56% the majority say they would be dissatisfied or angry if Trump were elected for a second term. And by the way, 58% say they would be uh, angry or dissatisfied if Biden were reelected. The uh, the distaste for both of these potential candidates is kind of overwhelming, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, um, I'm I'm bewildered um, at the prospect of Joe Biden running again. I understand why Trump insists on doing this, but I don't understand why Joe Biden would be uh, looking to run for a second term. I understand why he might be buying time um, to sound like he's running, but I don't think it's realistic. For it is nothing about his record, and it's nothing about Joe Biden. It's just about his age. It's not realistic for him to tell us um, he's just past the halfway mark through his first term. Just the halfway mark and for him to tell us now that he can be leaving this country through a lot of problems until January of 2029 is not is not realistic uh, and so um, I, I, I know that Americans dread a matchup again between Trump and Biden uh, but again I absolutely understand why Trump in, insists on being the center of attention and um, trying to vindicate himself and come back um, and vanquish everyone in the nominating contest and he thinks protect himself from any kind of legal peril as a candidate and and potentially president again. Um, but I just don't understand why Joe Biden um, would be willing to put himself and his family um, through another six years. Well, it's and, and and again, when you talk about another six years, it's the next two years. Uh, right right now, they're opening the hearings about Hunter Biden's laptop. Uh, do you think this is going to be a spellbinding? Uh, fascinating uh, item of uh, interest to the American public at large that there, other than very, very committed GOP partisans, that there are lots of people who are really interested in, in Hunter Biden's personal life? 
I do not think, and you can look at the polls and see that there is already a lot of skepticism among um, voters that these investigations are going to, um, you know, be, be, be worth their taxpayer dollars. Uh, whether the, the Republican majority of the House is going to focus on their priorities and their problems. The problem for Joe Biden is if something salacious does come out, some really damaging revelation does come out of the Hunter Biden investigation. Again, I think the other ones sort of will come up short. But if something dramatic is revealed, it's very bad for Biden and it's bad for the Democrats who will be forced into a position of defending it. Um, and so, again, I think he takes all of the steam out of all of this if he just simply says sometime this year, um, we should have an open primary in my party and I'm going to be the president until t January of 2025 and focus on the war in Ukraine and focus on our relationship with China. But someone else who's younger than me should lead the party. And so if he is running for reelection, the Hunter stuff becomes potentially very problematic. And yes, it does. Uh, what about the Ukraine issue? Right now, uh, there's worry about the losing Republican support, losing Democratic support. Which is the biggest threat to Ukraine's survival? The biggest threat is the growing opposition in the Republican Party to continued support for the war in Ukraine. Donald Trump is now saying that he will oppose any future uh, support for the war in Ukraine and paint everyone else in the primary contest as warmongers. So he's setting up the whole field to also oppose support for Ukraine. That, I see, is the big challenge going forward for Joe Biden is Republican resistance to us uh, continuing to support Ukraine. Uh, A.B. Stoddard, her recent pieces are posted at michaelmedved.com. Uh, there is a, a brand new filing uh, about <laughs> George Santos and uh, groping by someone working on his staff while George Santos's husband was away. Uh, we will get to that and uh, whether this finally could be the end for the gentleman from New York, the great pretender. Uh, we will be right back on The Medved Show. And on The Michael Medved Show, uh, honestly, for the sake of the Republican Party and its future, uh, there really is a, a great need to... <laughs> to see that the great pretender, uh, George Santos, uh, goes away. I I'm not suggesting that he be executed. I'm not suggesting that he may be imprisoned or should be imprisoned. There's always a possibility of that. But uh, it is now crossed over from just lying about his background and about campaign finance irregularities, which is the most serious matter, frankly, of them all, because... He contributed $700,000 in a loan to his campaign, and no one has any idea where that money came from. And then there's the problem of basically taking checks and crossing out the fact that it was donated to his charity, to the uh, Friends of Pets United, and uh, that he crossed that out and put in his own name or one of his many names. He put in the name Anthony DeVelder. And uh, DeVolder, pardon me. In any event, here, here's the latest. It's from USA Today. Today, uh, Santos accused of sexual harassment 
a former aide filed a complaint with the House Ethics Committee uh, about Representative George Santos, according to a copy of the complaint that was just posted on social media. Santos has denied the accusation. The man who filed the complaint is Derek Myers. He describes himself on Twitter as a journalist and was listed as the editor of the Scioto Valley Guardian in Ohio. Myers worked in Santos's D.C. office starting January 24th. So I guess this placement didn't, didn't work out for Derek Myers, according to the ethics complaint. His duties included answering phones, reading mail, corresponding and writing to constituents, among other tasks. All of this paid for by taxpayers, of course. He said his title was volunteer until hiring paperwork could be completed. Uh, Myers wrote that on January 25th, the day after he started working as a volunteer, remember, he's been on this job for, for one day, one day. He says that Santos hit on him. He alleged Santos asked Myers if he had an account with Grinder, a hookup app popular in the gay community. While in Santos's private office, the congressman called him Buddy and insisted that Myers sit with him on a small sofa. Santos put his leg on Myers' left leg and said, Hey, buddy, we're going to karaoke tonight. Would you like to go? <laughs> when Myers declined, Santos proceeded to take his hand and move it down his leg into his inner thigh and proceeded, well, t to touch him, his groin. Uh, Santos then told Myers his husband was out of town that night. If you want to come over, uh, Myers pushed Santos' hand away and proceeded to discuss constituent correspondence, which, of course, is so much... Well, it's actually probably more exciting than, than George Santos. Uh, this is, given the fact that the Republican Party is supposed to be the party of family and freedom and dignity, and the founders, and the the idea that George Santos is being sustained and defended uh, simply because he is an extra vote and because people are worried that the Republicans couldn't hold a seat. I think that there would be such a sense of relief on the part of his constituents that there would be a chance for the Republicans to to win with a congressman not quite so tainted as as George Santos. Um, meanwhile, preparing for the State of the Union address, which comes about three and a half hours from now, it is uh, going to be everywhere. It, it is not expected to draw a huge audience um, because you had the two immediate predecessors, Trump and Obama, were both a dramatic stage presences. Uh, Joe Biden is not. There's a piece by Katie Rogers in uh, the New York Times, and it begins, as President Biden prepared to deliver one of the biggest speeches of his presidency, he met with a close group of aides at the White House and read drafts aloud from top to bottom. He practiced in front of teleprompters at Camp David, making sure the language was relatable and clear. And in quiet moments ahead of the State of the Union address this evening, he marked up his speech with subtle lines and dashes that he has long used as a signal to take a breath, 
pause between his words or steer through a tricky transition. Mr. Biden is the first modern president to have a stutter, which he has navigated since childhood and still speaks of in emotional terms. According to seven current and former aides who have helped Mr. Biden prepare for high-profile speeches throughout his career, the president's shorthand will help him as he delivers an hour-long speech in which he will have to make an emphatic case for his legislative achievements and urge Republicans and Democrats to work together. Uh, John Meacham, the distinguished historian, who actually is a very fine writer, he wrote that uh, uh, eulogy for President George Herbert Walker Bush, who he knew well, he had written a book with him, but uh, which was just wonderful. Am I expecting some wonderful prose here tonight? We will see. Preparations for Mr. Biden's State of the Union speeches begin weeks in advance. Several aides described a process in which the president demands that sentences be written clearly. No acronyms. Uh, no, uh, remember that acronym that's been in the news recently was a scorpion, uh, which stood for a street crime operation, uh, returning peace. Uh, in our neighborhoods. Okay, that's so no acronyms. Okay, uh, he will illustrate his legislative accomplishments in terms real people can understand. He spends weeks working on each speech with his writers, reading over and over and over again, top to bottom and out loud. At Camp David last weekend, the group assisting Mr. Biden. In final preparations included members of his inner circle, Mike Donnell and Bruce Reed, Anita Dunn and Stephen J. Ricchetti, as well as Vinnie Reddy, the chief White House speechwriter, and the historian John Meacham, who was called upon to add historical heft, uh, usually toward the end of his proceedings. Uh, the number of guests who uh, are coming, the 25 guests who they have announced, and uh, we will uh, find out how many of those guests are mentioned in the course of his speech. Almost surely he will be mentioning the mother and stepfather of uh, Tyree Nichols, who will be there. He almost surely will be mentioning uh, Paul Pelosi. Uh, I'm not sure that helps him in any way, but uh, given the fact that Paul Pelosi is going to be making one of his first public appearances since being seriously wounded by an intruder in his home, the uh, theme, uh, they're saying from the White House, the theme is going to be unifying the country, which has been one of the more conspicuous, uh, one of the more conspicuous absences, one of the more conspicuous failures of the Biden administration, if you can say so. And what about Ukraine? It'll be crucial because, again, there are more and more Republicans who believe they can help win a presidential nomination. They are led by Donald Trump by promising an end to America's support or at least a great diminution of America's support to Ukraine. One of the guests who will be in the gallery uh, sitting near uh, Jill Biden will be uh, Oksana uh, Markarova, who is the Ukrainian ambassador to the United States. Uh, what will the president say about the ongoing conflict? Uh, 
Will it be about Ukraine winning the war or simply about bringing the war to an acceptable end? We will get to that and more coming up on The MedVet Show. Okay, it's winter time, and that should... Medved show. Uh, the uh, one aspect of tonight's proceedings that nobody really knows about is the tack that will be taken by Sarah Huckabee Sanders. It's a, a big job and an important job with a Republican Congress in there basically looking pugilistic, ready for a uh, fight and a knockdown dragout fight. It, it seems to me important that Governor Sanders, new governor of Arkansas, uh, talks about how Republican governors in the states, uh, including people like Ron DeSantis and uh, the outgoing governor, Larry Hogan, who did such a great job in Maryland, and uh, many other Republican governors across the country, Spencer Cox in Utah, uh, have done a very good job working with the other side. And if she mentions that and mentions the fact that in Arkansas, which is not an all-Republican state, it is one dominated by Republicans, but there's an active Democratic Party and they've had Democratic statewide office holders recently, in fact. If she can do that and talk about the example being set on issues that people care about, like crime issues, like public safety issues... Uh, like issues involving some of the more destructive messages that are being sent in our schools and more choice in education and uh, basically building education, that will be very successful and much more than if her entire speech is a full-out attack on Joe Biden. A full-out attack on Joe Biden isn't necessary. I mean, they already have over 60% of Americans including Democrats, Republicans, and independents who think that uh, they would be unhappy if Joe Biden won the election. And just about the same number, slightly less, would be unhappy. It's also a majority if Donald Trump won the election. So turning the page, it seems to me, is should be the watchword for Governor uh, Sanders. And we'll see. Uh, she will be on right after... Uh, the president of the United States, and probably from the uh, Alabama, uh, the Arkansas State Capitol, which will be a good setting. Meanwhile, there was a claim that social issues are over, that the culture war that people have waged is over, and the sign that the culture war is over is the Grammy Awards. That's what Joy Reid said uh, in her show on MSNBC. Listen, clip two. I hadn't watched in years, but I actually really enjoyed it. Although I'm not sure everybody else did. It was, to put it mildly, a celebration of the very thing the American right has turned into its latest anti-wokeness boogeyman, diversity, equity, and inclusion. The show opened with Puerto Rican singer Bad Bunny singing 99% in Spanish. 
Then host Trevor Noah walked and talked through a room that was diversity, equity, and inclusion in human form. The first country Americana artist to perform, Brandi Carlisle, was introduced by her wife and daughters. We saw the first trans artist win a Grammy, Kim Petras, who has a hit song with Sam Smith, the British singer who came out in 2019 as non-binary. Black acting superstar Viola Davis became an EGOT, winning a Grammy to add to her Golden Globe, Oscar, and Tony Awards. Lizzo performed with her amazing choir of many sized singers. Beyonce took home her 32nd Grammy to become the most Grammy-decorated singer of all time. Best thing, and I had to look this up, Hungarian-British conductor George Solti. Record of the year went to Harry Styles, a British male singer who frequently puts on dresses to pose in magazines and is a sex symbol to women and men because of it. And there was a 15-minute epic tribute to the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. So, yeah, the culture wars are over. And the left won, like total defeat. <laughs> I could only imagine the heads exploding in red states. Okay, I, I don't think any heads are exploding in red states because I'm not sure people in red states were watching. I'm not sure that Governor Sanders in Arkansas was watching the Grammys. And she referred to uh, the Liz Petras and Sam Smith and uh, their, their performance. Uh, this is the way that was covered on Access Hollywood. Listen carefully and see if this sounds like a winning strategy for the culture war. Kim Petras and Sam Smith had an epic night at the 2023 Grammys. The duo hit the stage to deliver a majorly racy performance of their hit song, Unholy. Kim was seen on stage in a cage surrounded by dancers with whips. Sam rocked a bright red top hat with horns while belting out the song for the audience, and the crowd went wild for their performance. Sam, thank you. You're a true angel and hero in my life. Earlier in the night, the pair won Best Pop Duo Group Performance for their hit song, Unholy. And while accepting the award, Kim was so excited to make history as the first transgender woman to win in the category. Sam graciously wanted me to accept this award because I'm the first uh, transgender woman to win this award. Okay, the uh, dance that you can see on TV, it's a recreation of hell and they're locked in cages and they're devils whipping them. <laughs> and then Sam Smith comes out wearing it like a top hat with horns on it and he's supposed to be the triumphant devil. And the song is called Unholy. And again, I think that the idea that this is the direction of American culture is not necessarily encouraging uh, to the majority of our fellow citizens. And uh, the fact that uh, Joy Reid was so uh, great, so grateful and, and so giddy with uh, the, the nature of what the Grammy was doing and by the way, Georg Solti, uh, who she mentioned, who had the previous record before Beyonce for winning, he's actually tied with Beyonce now. He won 32 Grammys. He's a longtime conductor of the Chicago Symphony and a pretty amazing guy with his achievements. There's another import from Europe, which is a big new movie. It's nominated for three Oscars. It's nominated for Best Film, Best Director, and Best Original Screenplay. And uh, is it worth seeing? 
venturing into the triangle of sadness? Uh, listen. Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. Nominated for three important Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Director, a dark comedy focuses on the super rich and self-indulgent who interact on board a luxury yacht that threatens not only their dignity, but their lives in the highly acclaimed Triangle of Sadness. A Russian capitalist and an American <laughs> communist. On a $250 million luxury yacht. This is really bad. This is really, really bad. Yeah, it is bad. Despite skillful performances by Woody Harrelson, Dolly De Leon, and the late glamorous leading lady, Charles B. Dean. Yes, there's a shipwreck and a struggle for survival, but the philosophical and political debates that permeate the movie take you far from the fun factor of Gilligan's Island. Rated R for sex references and the most extended scene of mass vomiting and diarrhea in movie history, only two stars for the appallingly overrated Triangle of Sadness. Yeah, come on, Ethel, let's go out and see that that 20-minute uh, scene of people vomiting on each other. And there's diarrhea, too. Um, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where my wife very rarely screens movies uh, with me. And um, Triangle of Sadness is kind of an illustration of why. And again, when you're talking about the culture wars... Uh, being over, the idea that this film is so tremendously acclaimed, it's uh, a puzzlement. But there are all kinds of things in this world that are a puzzlement. Uh, we will be talking tomorrow about a looming crisis for the American military. And this has nothing to do with Ukraine, or it might if we get more deeply involved. A, a new Pentagon study indicates that 77% of Americans aged 17 to 24 could not qualify for military service. 77%. Why not? Because they're overweight. Uh, this is a problem for the future of the country and the future of our military. Uh, there's also a big debate going on on Capitol Hill about marijuana. Why? Because suddenly uh, there are a number of congressmen on the Democratic side who were convinced marijuana is just wonderful for you, it's healthy, it's good for you. It's not. It's dangerous. And increasing volumes of medical data. So Democrats are changing their tune on the national legalization of weed. We'll also be reacting to the State of the Union address in the beginning of hunt, uh, hearings about Hunter Biden that and more in this greatest nation on God's green earth.